my camera has saved lives, but not this time. Could I have done more to save him? Another nameless victim of the endless tragedy of Africa. This is Freetown, capital of Sierra Leone, my country. My name is Soria Samura. For most of my life, it's been a good place to live, rich in natural resources, the envy of the West. Much of our wealth has come from things most people have little knowledge of. They should have been a blessing, instead they are a curse. They have torn Sierra Leone apart in a bloody civil war. For who controls them, controls the country. They are diamonds. I work as a cameraman editor, much of the time for the United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, filming the war with children here. But through the 90s, the fighting came ever closer to my home in Freetown. As it grew in brutality, I used the only weapon I had, my camera. A year ago, my life changed forever. My pictures of the war won me these international awards, but very little of the footage has actually been shown, judged too extreme for television. Now, you may judge for yourselves. In the Battle of Freetown, the biggest suspicion was enough for either side to kill. So many died that bodies were dumped outside the city's mortuary. We had seen familiar parts of the place we lived in turned into battlefields. You became glad when you didn't recognize the next body you came across. In this madness, my job was to recover history happening in my country, where random roadside justice was the order of the day. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, what you just saw in the video was the situation when we went to Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone, a country in West Africa, had suffered for about 10 years of civil war. Atrocities caused by revolutionary United Front was something difficult to even see than to even think of the people who were suffering in Sierra Leone. I was commanding a company which was deployed as part of United Nations peacekeeping in Sierra Leone in the year 1999. We were deployed with a mandate for peacekeeping. And you can understand what kind of a peacekeeping we can do in a country where what you saw just now was 
prevailing <laughs> the time when we went there. I am the cause for Operation Kukri. I am the man who participated and successfully executed Operation Kukri. And I am the trophy for the success in Operation Kukri. All three in one would be very difficult to see anywhere else in the world. To see the men because of whom Operation Kukri happened. Also, the same man executes that mission and finally he is the trophy for successful completion of the operation. My request for the next slide, I am going to talk about an operation which I have not only participated but lived for 75 days without food, without eating. You can understand if you have to survive for 75 days without food. I keep telling people, during those 75 days to survive. Because we had to survive. What was the reason for not surrendering to the militants of Revolutionary United Front was the only reason that I can explain for the national pride. They wanted us to lay down weapons to the militants. There were 17 countries participating in this mission, out of which 16 countries laid down their weapons to the militants. They laid down their weapons in the feet of the militants and walked free. We were also given the option that you want to go, you go back to your country. We will let you go. Only demand the militants had was that you also want to lay down your weapons. We worship our weapons. Uniform is the religion of Indian Army and weapon is the God. I tried to explain to them. Each day I tried to explain to them that let me walk out with my God. I will go back to my country. You keep everything else here. Whatever you want to keep, please keep it with you. I am ready to leave everything behind but for my weapon which is my God. They did not understand. It took me 75 days of diplomacy to make them understand. Because we thought we are on a peacekeeping mission and peace should not be compromised at any cost. But finally, when they did not understand, we had to fight our way back. We had to carry out, execute Operation Kukri after 75 days in which we killed those militants and we came back with honor, we came back with pride. This is the operation which has been very close to my heart and incidentally you would not have or see any book written in first person anywhere in the world about any operation. You can always read a story which is in third person written by somebody else 
maybe by a journalist about an operation. But that amounts to that famous, I think, that Kavita, Kundele Harbolo Ke Hamne Suni Kahani. You are going to listen that Kahani or that story from somebody, but not the person who has participated in that operation. For 20 years, I could not write about this operation. It was disturbing. Each day, I was telling myself that I had given a commitment to my soldiers after the operation that one day world would know about the operation Hukri. Somehow, I was occupied in my profession. I didn't have the time to write about it. And it was disturbing me for the reason that after the operation, the Britishers, the British government had put their stamp on Operation Kukri. They claimed Operation Kukri to be a British operation because there were two helicopters, two Chinook helicopters had participated in this operation to take out Major Andy Harrison, the only officer of United Kingdom, was taken out by these two helicopters. Indian media did not have the reach in 1999 to go to Sierra Leone. BBC was time and again showing this operation to be a British operation. As a result, the world has reconciled that Operation Kukri was an operation of Britishers. This was disturbing me because we had lost a soldier in this operation, Haldar Kishin Kumar, the only soldier who lost his life not for his country, but for the pride of his country in a foreign country. And here are the people from European world who want to claim the operation to be a British operation. Therefore, it was time and again my conscience was being shaken up that I need to write. March 2000, I think 19, I thought very seriously that I need to write. Thereafter, COVID, Corona happened. My daughter, who was doing a job in Delhi, left her job, came to me where I'm posted. I'm posted in Dhanapur, which is in Bihar, looking after the Nepal border, looking after the states of Bihar and Jharkhand, as a general officer commanding. When she came after a couple of days, she told me, Papa, I'm getting bored. I don't know what to do. I said, Bede, I have something which I have not been able to write. I am disturbed. I am not able to sleep. That is when two of us started writing this operation. It took about one and a half years to become a reality. And this book, Operation Kukri, when it came out, I can share it with you. My battalion, which participated in this operation, celebrates this day when the book was written and it was launched because it was pending for 21 years. Operation Kukri was never heard by anybody in India. It was the biggest success of Indian Army, biggest success of India, but the Indians did not know about it. I am happy that now 
that the book has come out, more and more people are writing to me through email or maybe I'm getting a lot of messages from people that they are thanking me for writing this book because they were not aware. A lot of requests came for translating the book in Hindi. And I'm happy to share that the Hindi translation is complete because majority of country would be able to read it. The Hindi book is going to come out very shortly. This is a real story which I have written and I have been absolutely honest in writing this book. Despite 21 years, I have not forgotten a single day how we survived. We were surrounded by about, I can say, 1000 odd militants and we were about 200 odd number of soldiers and we had to survive. And that is how I said, we had to survive to succeed, we had to survive to fight. This book for me is not only a book but it is something which I can feel, I can share the emotions with you today. Within the constraint of time I would like to share about the story of Sierra Leone. Can I request for the next slide please? Sierra Leone, as you see on the map, indicated West Africa is a very small country. Sierra Leone was a British colony up to 1961. It became independent in 1961. The Britishers left. The capital of Sierra Leone is known as Freetown. Why it is known as Freetown? Because the slaves from the Western world were released in this country and that is how the term free town, that now you are free. The slaves who did good service to their masters were released here and that is how free town came as a name. You can understand a country which was very rich in mineral resources, diamonds, the best diamonds in the world are in Sierra Leone. The same diamonds became the cause of the problem because you see, those diamonds by the rebels were being sent into the developed countries and in return they were getting weapons. Revolutionary United Front was started by, by Fode Senko. Fode Senko was a corporal in the army of Sierra Leone. There was a lot of corruption after the Britishers left and he wanted the country to be free of corruption. And once Ario first started, it was a very good initiative. But slowly, the corruption by Ario started, and Ario started the atrocities, what you saw on the video. The soldiers in uniform were the Ario soldiers who were killing the locals. When we went there, you can believe that 20% of the population either did not have a hand or a leg. The normal punishment was known as half sleeves and long sleeves. I'm sure you can understand when they half sleeves means hand has to be cut from hair. This is the punishment. And long sleeves, the hand has to be cut from hair to make it a long sleeve. That was a punishment for routine, small little mistakes being done by anybody. That is argue. The most deadliest, I would say, rebel organization in the world was Arius and we, the Indian soldiers, defeated them 
in their own heartland. That is the kind of success story being written in this book. And you see, I want to share it with you, but more details as you read in the book, you would understand that I have covered the mission starting from India, going to Sierra Leone, and then even describing those 75 days, how we survived, and finally, how did we launch the operation, Operation Kukri. Next slide, please. This is Sierra Leone. As you see on the map, there were three provinces, Northern Province, Southern Province, and Eastern Province. Eastern Province was mainly the mountains. The other two were plains. The rebel organization primarily was in the Eastern Province, and that is where the diamonds in the hills were there. You see the name, Calahon, easternmost, I would say, part of Sierra Leone. That is Calahon, where I was deployed with a company. With Guinea on the north, Liberia on the south, Liberia was supporting the revolutionary United Front. And that is how they were getting the support from a country which is the neighboring country. Next slide, please. As I said, Sierra Leone is a very small country which post-1961 was having a single party rule. And that is how corruption started in that country and corruption reached to a peak where Podesenko had to initiate RUF to fight corruption. And while fighting corruption, ultimately he started giving the people of Sierra Leone the most difficult, I would say, life that they could not even dream. Next slide. Coming to the UN peacekeeping, though it is not part of the book, but just to make you understand, the United Nations peacekeeping has got a mandate. When you go to the UN, you are part of a mandate which I have tried to list out. I am not going into details of it. But if you see the second bullet where I have written impartiality, neutrality by the UN force is very important. You want to be impartial, you want to be absolutely neutral. Therefore, if you go to the UN, you can understand that you are kind of a mediator between the parties which are fighting in the UN, in the country. Next slide, please. There are two chapters under which we go to the UN. Chapter 6 and Chapter 7. Chapter 6 is primarily peacekeeping and Chapter 7 is primarily peace enforcement. That is, you fight to create peace. We had gone as part of Chapter 6, that primarily means we had gone there to do peacekeeping assignment. We are not to fight to create peace. Next slide, please. Somehow, after, I would say, initial couple of months, when the civil war again started, and we all were surrounded by the militants, that is when Chapter 6 became Chapter 6 and a half. That was a new term designed to cover the mission in Sierra Leone. Next slide, please. Now, coming to the book. You see, as I already said, Britishers had put their stamp on the operation. This was the biggest success story of a country being lost. 
call it technical level victory. When I say technical level, it is at the ground level we achieved the victory. But somehow it could not be taken forward at the strategic level, at the national level. We could not, I would say, take advantage of the success of Indians in Sierra Leone by way of mutual trade with Sierra Leone, by way of country to country. I would say agreements, people to people talk, social, cultural interactions that did not happen. Next slide, please. Now, while writing the book, there were people part of this operation and everybody had a different perception. What I have written is my perception as a man on ground, as a man at Kalam. When you write a book on an operation, you need a lot of clearances from the military. Why I am bringing out all these? Because I had to go through all these clearances from my headquarters. Once you are retired, you can write a book, nobody will stop you. But when you are in service, when you write a book, you need approvals, you need headquarters clearances and all that, that had to come about. It happened in a record time, because when I met, went and met the headquarters, I should explain that it is very important and urgent to write this book because we need to put our ownership on the operation. Next slide, please. I'm going fast because I would request somebody to take on any question with me. I'm, I'm there to answer to any of your questions. Therefore, I'm not going into details of the presentation. I shall leave it here, this presentation. Now, focus of the book. When I decided to write, when I said Operation Pukri, the focus would be those two days when we did the fighting to break that seize, to break that cordon, or it could be the entire 75 days how we survived. We couldn't have done justice only talking about those two days. That is how I have gone about in a way that I have started the book from India, taken the mission to Siraju, thereafter getting deployed into Siraju. Initially, a couple of months, whatever we could do, I have described in the book. Then the civil war again started, and then the 75 days of survival, when you are surrounded by the militants, and finally the operation, when you carry out fighting breakout to break the seas and come back. In the entire operation, one thing which I, want, I wish to highlight, and I have written in the book also, the commander of the rebels who was there was a brigade commander. His name was Colonel Martin. Next slide, please. Now you see in this photograph, onto the right, onto your right, is a man sitting next to me. I am wearing the blue beret. The man sitting next to me was the brigade commander. Younger than me, this is the leadership of RUF. Young children were commanding brigades and battalions. The man who is, I would say, to the left and bottom, General Isa, was the overall in charge of RUF. Again, a man of just about 28, they were the commander. So, can you expect them to be rational? 
where young children who were commanding brigades and the army of the rebels. Self and Martin became good friends because I was meeting Martin almost every couple of days to negotiate and talk to him. And 75 days is a very long time. We had flag meetings. And over, I would say, a couple of days, we developed a human relationship of friends. And every time Martin would tell me, Major, why don't you go home? And I would say, Martin, I want to go home with honor. Let me go with my weapon, I will go. And he would say, I can't let you go because every other peacekeeper has gone by laying down weapons, you go to lay down the weapons. This human relationship I have described in the book, <coughs> you, would read, you would realize that how difficult it is for a man who has developed a friendship with a rebel commander. And ultimately, the two are fighting. On the day when we are breaking out, I don't know he's alive or he lost his life in that operation. That dilemma of a soldier to do his duty versus his friend has been described in this book. And people who are read it, they, they tell me that you try to be, I think, very honest with your emotions. But how can you start killing the people who actually help you? During those 75 days. The civilian people who were in Calabon, they helped us. And ultimately, when I'm breaking out, I'm bringing down heavy fire on Calabon town. And that is how, when I think Mustafa was giving my introduction about Ram Rahim, Dera Satcha Sona. Here I was surrounded by the militants for three months. And in Ram Rahim, Dera Satcha Sona, I was surrounding. I was outside, and the and and, and the the uh, I would say followers of Ram Rahim were inside the dera. Once we had surrounded the dera, what happens next in the military operation is that you attack. The way it happened in Operation Blue Star, after surrounding the Golden Temple, Indian Army went ahead for the clearance of Golden Temple. I did not. I said, let me give peace a chance. Because I had stayed inside a cordon for 75 days, I could understand the sentiments of people inside. And that is how I walked into Dera Satsasur, spoke to those people and brought them out without causing a single casualty. So, somehow, I have written in this book also that what helped me to sort out the problem of Ram Rahim Dera Satsasur was my lessons I learned in Operation Kukri in Calabon. There is a linkage which I have written. Next slide, please. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next. Next. Now, if you read in the book, page 197, and I have exactly written what, what I am showing on the slide, I did not allow the operation in Sirsar to follow the precedent set by Operation Blue Star for vacating the Golden Temple. Because I was conscious of the fact being part of Operation Kukri. Finally, what happened after 75 days that we realized 
that they are not going to understand. We realize we cannot survive anymore because we have no rations to eat. That is how we carried out fighting breakout. We launched Operation Kukri. We broke the seas around us, walked through jungle for 70 kilometers. It happened over two days and we could come back to the country with honor. What I was trying to show here for vacating the Golden Temple in 1984, in my opinion, the collateral damage that transpired post-Brustar in India losing its Prime Minister was something that was uncalled for. This is written in the book. I am reading from straight from the book. Next slide. Next. Right, ladies and gentlemen, let me thank Rai Sony Group, Orange City Literature Festival organizers to invite me here today. And I'm glad to be here to talk about my book. I would request for any questions you have on Operation Kukri. I don't see, only feel that some of you or maybe a couple of you would have read it, but I would definitely request you to read it. I cannot explain what I have written. I am only here to talk about the larger picture. The details would be in the book. Any questions by anybody in the audience? Sir. Yeah. Uh, there are two questions, sir. Uh, I'm going to in the road for this. Oh, very nice. Uh, though it's not in detail brought about uh, in the book by you, sir. Uh, the first commander was uh, General VK Jetri, an Indian uh, general officer. And like you said, the uh, cotton off uh, period was 75 days plus and then two or three days of breakup. Uh, did, did you ever at that time feel that probably the force commander being an Indian general, uh, decisions were delayed, the breakout uh, operation permissions were delayed, and uh, did you ever feel that case? Yes sir, you see when, when you are surrounded and you are facing life and death every day, I would like to tell the children, biggest lesson you get in life is when you face death, and we were virtually looking into the eyes of death every day. And we're getting disturbed by the force headquarters. It's not doing anything. Believe me, we were uncomfortable that why no help or league assistance is coming from the headquarters. So you are right, it was disturbing. We were wondering why is nothing happening at the headquarters. So that was one thing which you are very right and I accept it. Uh, sir, related to it only, sir. Uh, Sanitary days is a very long period, sir, in contact. Uh, motivation is a very small word when you talk about being cotton off for uh, sanitary days. How are you, how are you have been uh, able to keep your own sanity and the sanity of your men for that period? Because there would have been internal rifts, there would have been uh, cases of uh, fratricide attempted or mutiny uh, uh, kind of thing. So how are you being as a uh, company commander, you were able to handle or how did you handle it? Thank you very much sir, very good question. I think what you said is absolutely right. Perception is individual. It's not collective. 
have a perception that we are in peacekeeping mission. When all other peacekeepers have gone the way they have gone, why is our company commander not agreeing to the to the rebels' demand and simply walking off? So there were different opinions. Each day was unique. And I would get a report, you have been in army, sir, you know how you get a report from senior JCO or the company Haldar Major telling you we saw so-and-so boys talking like that and there is a group which is saying that let's walk out. Why should we take orders when you are into battle, you, as you know, sir? I mean, everybody is free to do what he has to do. So firstly, what I have to do is to maintain regular routine in the company. Starting from morning, I would say stand to. Morning stand to, till evening stand to. There were classes, there were training, there were preparation, there was evening volleyball match. Routine was maintained to keep them as one entity. And secondly, luckily for me, one signal boy, you have signals, he disobeyed my orders. Once he disobeyed my orders, in Indian Army, there is field punishment. You tie him up onto a, I would say, tree or something like that, and you order a firing squad to fire. In battle, for disobeying orders, there is a law in the military which says field punishment. I went through that process. Though we did not open fire, but the firing squad was ready. The rifles were cocked, ready to fire, only waiting for my order to fire. That is when I asked the company hereafter in case anybody disobeys my orders. And that is when the company gave me commitment hereafter, nobody will disobey orders. So things like that I have explained in the book that it was very difficult to keep the motivation. Because when you have a situation where it, it's a matter of life and death, then I think everybody thinks differently. It was a major challenge to keep the motivation. It was a Herculean task to keep them in the situation for 75 days. And every day I would walk out and come back and motivate them. There is something happening. Some positive feedback is coming just to keep them motivated. It's a good question, sir. And I think to hit the nail, that was a major challenge for 75 days. Any other questions from anybody? Yeah. So, you said that there is a 200 people, uh, your boys with you, and the letter, the entrance was uh, more than 1000 in the count of thousands. So, what is your plan B if you lost a fire between them? So, is there any plan B that if I lost my 200 people in the fire, and what is your plan after that? Because as a 200 people, it is a big count for you. Well, thank you very much. When we started Operation Kukri, I had addressed a Senate Sammelan, what we call it a Senate Sammelan. I had told my soldiers that it is better to die in battlefield than to die of hunger. That was the motivation, that in any case we have to die because we have nothing to eat. And 75 days is a very long time. Sir would understand 30 days emergency ration we keep, dry ration, rice and dal, we had consumed. Last 15 days the cookhouse was not functional, there was nothing to eat. So it was a situation where you have to die, the less die fighting. And that is when we had tied a white handkerchief onto our helmets or maybe under the helmet. Then there is no plan. The 
plan B was either to succeed or to die. We had no plan B when we came out in fighting mode in this operation. There was only one plan, and that was to succeed. And God was kind. We only lost one boy. So a lot of us were injured, but we took come back. But there was no plan.
some of you would find time to read it. And once again, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, the organizers.